there is benefit in resolve. Okay, not this kind of resolve. There's benefit in resolve. There's benefit in determination, okay? Uh, there's benefit in that advanced planning piece that says when X happens, I will respond in the following way. Um, psychologist Dr. Alan Zimmerman writes, the number one reason people win or lose is their use or non-use of determination. I see it over and over again. Some people will tell me that they never had a chance to succeed. They're the wrong color, gender, or age, or they had the wrong parenting, schooling, or managing. Other people with the same color, gender, or age, or with similar parenting, schooling, and managing are doing quite well. Determination. Determination can help us get through some rough places uh, in our lives. But, but your determination will be strengthened with resolve. That resolution that we make in advance, that when X happens, I will. What are you resolved to do when storms come? But we know that, right? It's when, not if, <laughs> right? What are you resolved to do when storms come? Determination, resolve, choosing what I will do when X happens or in Y or Z situation. St. Matthew, the disciple of Jesus, became the apostle Matthew, sent one of Jesus. Matthew, in writing his gospel, has been inviting us to see Jesus the way he saw Jesus. Jesus is God with his disciples. He is Emmanuel. And this morning, Matthew invites us to see it one step further. Jesus is God with his disciples in the storm. He's God with his disciples in the storm. So, so my encouragement is going to be that, that you deepen your resolve to walk with Jesus this morning. That this, this would be a, a, defining, a defining morning. Deepen your resolve to walk with Jesus, to take hold of Jesus, to, to journey with Jesus. And the promise is that it will make the difference when you face the storm. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to dig into Scripture together. Uh, Lord Jesus, you've heard us already. Who are we? Who are we? The God of all the earth would care to know my name, care to see my hurt. Lord Jesus, would you help us see you this morning? Holy Spirit, would you come and teach us? Father, we love you and we thank you for not leaving us alone. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, the account we're going to review this morning may be one of the most famous accounts of Jesus, in part... In part, I think it's because it's, it's rather incredulous. Like, this is a crazy story. If this is true, and was intended to be a literal account of an actual happening, and I'm convinced that it is, that Jesus seems to have made some strange choices. And he issues some difficult to carry out instructions 
and that defies the physical universe as we know it. And, and it's not entirely clear why he did it, at least not at first. I'm, I'm going to suggest that it actually makes perfect sense if we see Jesus the way Matthew sees Jesus. And he sees him providing clarity for you and I concerning who Jesus is. Clarity concerning who he is. Maybe I've whet your appetite for that this morning. Why don't you turn with me, if you have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen, Matthew chapter 14. I'm in the New International Version, if you're looking it up digitally. Matthew chapter 14, I'm going to start at verse 22. Will you stand with me? Let's stand together, give our full attention to the word of the Lord. Verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now, let me just pause for a second and give some context. Uh, Jesus had gone back to Nazareth where he preached in his home synagogue and he was rejected by his hometown uh, friends, family members, Matthew introduced us to the death of John the Baptist, beheaded by Herod. And in response to these events, Jesus went across the other side of the lake. It seemed that he wanted some time alone, but the crowds followed him. And so he ministered to them all day long, healing them, teaching them. And then the disciples came and said, you know, send them away. <laughs> like, there's too many of them. We send them to, it's dinner time, send them for food. And he said, no, you feed them. Um, and, and Jesus actually enabled his disciples to do this miracle of feeding thousands of people uh, from a little boy's lunch. Um, so, so this is what's followed. So immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Would you say that with me? Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Okay, we're going to come back to that. And go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, would you say that with me? Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Would you say that with me? Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you. How about that one? Tell me to come to you. I think I need to say that one again. Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, And came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Let's say that together. Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Would you say that with me? Truly you are the Son of God. This is the reading of God's word. May he teach us from it this morning. You may be seated. Sometimes when you encounter Jesus in profound 
and or unexpected ways. I mean, all you can do is worship. Didn't understand that. Didn't understand that. Don't know where that came from. All I can do is worship him. It took his disciples a while to get there, um, to see that Jesus is God with his disciples in the storm. Jesus is God with his disciples in the storm. Uh, Jesus went with them across the lake and then sends them back, right? So he sent them back to where they had come, uh, saying, get in the boat, verse 22. Now, more specifically, he says, it says that he made them get in the boat. And part of me says, like, what's going on here? If this is just the 12, we don't know for sure. It hasn't identified exactly who the disciples are that got in the boat, but it's at least the 12. I mean, more than half of them are, are, are fishermen. So what's the big deal? Get into, like, why does Jesus have to make them get in the boat? These guys know what they're doing. And, and I mean, there's possibly a few answers here. I mean, it sounds like there's some kind of resistance going on. Maybe, maybe they saw the signs that a storm was coming. You know, so they're a little hesitant to, to head out. These are going to be rough seas. Uh, you, you know, maybe what, what they knew was that there, there was going to be a contrary wind that was going to, going to kind of work against getting where they were trying to go, where they were commissioned to go. This was, this was going to be, there's going to be obstinance coming against them uh, here in this way. I suspect there's another kind of substantial factor going on here. Jesus wasn't getting in the boat with them. Other times when they've been on the lake at his command, Jesus was right there with them. But Jesus had some additional work to do. It says that he stayed behind to dismiss the crowd. Um, but, but remember that this whole other side of the lake thing began because Jesus was looking for some alone time. Uh, he was grieving the loss of, of his, his friend, his cousin, uh, the herald that came before the Messiah. Uh, Jesus described John the Baptist as the greatest prophet who'd ever lived. And he'd just been executed. And it's kind of understandable that Jesus would be looking for some alone time. An opportunity to grieve, we would understand. Well, what we find out is it was actually also opportunity to pray. Because this was, this was like some serious historic foreshadowing going on here. A prophet of God who finds himself on the wrong side of the powerful authorities of the day. Who's then executed by those authorities and his disciples come and take his body away. Does that sound familiar to anyone? I mean, we know the end of the story, right? I mean, this is, this is a little picture in advance of what Jesus was facing himself. And, and, and even models for us that, that when we are facing serious... So the disciples were heading out to face a storm, right? When we are facing serious storms, Jesus was, was facing like the ultimate storm. We are desperate to spend some alone time with God. We need to be desperate when we see storms coming to spend time with God. The disciples don't know all of this, right? They don't know what's coming. They couldn't have anticipated it. They didn't anticipate it, even though Jesus told them a bit about it. And there's another thing going on here, too. It may be that Jesus sent them across the lake on their own because he was trying to separate his disciples from, from this political unrest that was going on. Um, St. John in his gospel tells us that the people were plotting to make Jesus king by force. 
Now, you've got to believe, when you get 5,000 men out in the wilderness, far away from the rulers and the authorities that were back there, and then he feeds them, that there's a significant momentum going on here, that this is the guy we want as king. Herod never fed us. He, he, he does a lot of taking. He doesn't do very much giving. But clearly, clearly, this is God's Messiah. But, but this was not Jesus' agenda. We've talked about this all, all, all already. Uh, Jesus did not come to be a king like other kings. Uh, he, he did not intend to be a king like Herod Antipas, who cuts off the heads of God's prophets. He did not come to be a king like Herod's father, Herod the Great, uh, who, who murdered little boys in Bethlehem. Okay? Uh, Jesus was a different kind of king with a different kind of kingdom, which would, would be governed by a different kind of rule. It would be founded on and maintained by love. Preeminently, firstly, God's love for us and Jesus' demonstration of this love in that he laid his life down for us that we might be restored to the Father. Built on that foundation of love. Jesus, Jesus sent, the crowd, sent the crowds away after he made his disciples in the boat. But Jesus was sending them from what we call it a political storm into a, a physical storm, or at least one that was brewing. I mean, it wasn't as bad as the one that they encountered back in Matthew chapter 8. I mean, that one, that one was terrifying. That was the one where uh, the, these seasoned fishermen who'd been on this lake, raised on this lake all their lives, they thought they were going to drown. They feared for their lives. Um, this one here, Matthew chapter 14, doesn't seem to be quite that severe. It's just waves and wind that's keeping them from getting where they want to go. It's, it's contrary winds uh, that, that have been holding them back now for hours, hours out on the lake. If you've done any sailing, you, you know how exhausting it is. I mean, even if, you were, even if you were just tacking back and forth, trying to gain a knot here or there against this harsh wind, oh, exhausting. I would imagine that they eventually put the sails down and, and got the oars out and started rowing. Maybe we can just kind of go straight against the wind and row. They would maybe row in, in, uh, in sequence, you know, taking turns, shifts. Uh, maybe on the off shift, you got to consume some of the bread that was the leftovers that we brought from the shore, right? There are 12 baskets of leftover bread following the, 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 that miracle. One basket for each of them. Uh, it was maybe a little soggy now, I don't know. Uh, but, but it was saved and, and be, as a, a frugal, thrifty exercise of bread doesn't grow on trees, you know, right? Uh, but but, but they've, they've been at this all night, exhausted. Verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn... Jesus went out to them walking on the lake shortly before dawn. I mean, isn't this help coming just a little bit late? These guys have been at this all night. They're exhausted. Why did Jesus wait so long? I mean, aren't the things that Jesus commissions us to do, aren't they easily done? Like, isn't that the proof that Jesus was in it? Apparently not. I mean, isn't that little axiom that we, maybe you've heard it, God's work done in God's way never lacks God's supply. Now, I happen to believe that's true, but it doesn't mean it's easy. 
I mean, here I am trying to follow Jesus. Jeepers, it's frustrating. Like, like, like the little things, right? Like the truck won't start, keeps breaking down. You know, the smoke is coming and spoiling my plans. <laughs> High level. <clears throat> um, the deer ran into the side of my car. The side of my car, right in town. Come on. Jeepers, you know? Maybe it's the frustrations of the people at work. I don't have that. I, I, just so you know. <laughs> but you, you, I know you work with some really silly people, so. These, these contrary winds, these, these things that just kind of seem to, to come up against us. And, and Jesus, come on, you sent us across the lake. Why is this being so difficult? And of course, they didn't fully understand. Note to self. They didn't fully understand. They didn't understand the deal with the crowd, <clears throat> them wanting to make Jesus king. Or, or, or maybe they just heard rumor of it. They, they couldn't conceive of the idea that Jesus was going to voluntarily die, lay his life down for them and for you and for, for, for us, for me. And perhaps praying all night in preparation for facing what would be the greatest storm of his life seemed a little excessive to us. Maybe that's what is called for when facing a significant work that God wants to do. Now, here's the kicker, though. The last time we found ourselves in the boat in the middle of the lake in a storm, Jesus was clearly with us. I mean, he was asleep, right? He was asleep in the boat. We had to wake him up. Lord, don't you care? But at least he was with us. Where's Jesus now? Verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And somebody's pointed out there's actually three miracles that take place here. I mean, we obviously, the, the one walking on the water thing. But the first miracle is that he actually saw where they were in the middle of a storm on the lake and, and was able to go straight to them. The second, he walked on the water. The third, then, he calmed the storm again. All he had to do was get in the boat with them and it was calm. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Oh my goodness, fear, hey? Have you ever been caught by that? Like that, that all of a sudden, and there's this panic in our hearts. Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Now, I don't mean to mock you because I know it's real. But I think sometimes we need to laugh at ourselves and say, oh my goodness, why did I get so worked up about that? Like, like why did I allow that? When fear gets a hold of us, it messes with us. And right here, Matthew shares with us the antidote to fear. It's Jesus himself. It's Jesus himself. Jesus' words, take courage, it is I. The antidote for fear is Jesus, and he comes to us. But more than that, it's not just that he comes, it's who he is in his coming. This is a remarkable turn of phrase that's going on here. Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Uh, it is I. Uh, the Greek that's been translated into the English, it is I, the Greek under that is ego ami. The apostle John quotes Jesus using this turn of phrase multiple times in, in his gospel. Uh, Jesus says things like, I am the bread of life. I am, ego me, the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. Those are all in the Gospel of John. 
ego me was this turn of phrase that Jewish scholars actually used to translate Exodus chapter 3 from the Hebrew into the Greek about 100 years before the time of Jesus. Exodus chapter 3. That's where the young, relatively young, Moses, this prophet of God, encountered the burning bush. Maybe you've heard the story. And the bush is not consumed, but God speaks to him out of the bush. And God commissions Moses to go back to Egypt to confront Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Lead the children of Jacob, the children of Israel, out of Egypt into the promised land. Moses responds and basically says, "Uh, who are you, Lord? And who should I tell them has sent me? Effectively, which, which God are you? Like, are you the God of fire? Are, are you the God of the storm? Are you the God of, of fertility? Like, these are the things, that, the way the people that age. And, and God's reply is, Chaya Asher Chaya. I am that I am. My name is I am. In other words, I am not the God of the wind or the God of the rain or the God of fertility or anything nearly so pedestrian as that. I exist. And that is who I am. I am what I will be. Uh, So when Jewish scholars, 100 years before the time of Jesus, translated that Hebrew phrase, uh, defining God, referencing God, they translated Exodus chapter 3, ego ami. So when Jesus, quoted by John, begins using that turn of phrase to describe himself, it was not lost on anyone what Jesus was saying. He was saying, I am God. This is, this is second person of the Trinity walking here among you. God has come to be with you. Now, Matthew uses that phrase much more sparingly, but to great effect. We're pretty much smack dab in the middle of the, of the gospel of Matthew here. And, and this is the place where this revelation is placed for our benefit. The, the literary scholars will watch and say, oh my goodness, this is the high point of John's revelation. It's certainly a summit that we're to acknowledge. That, 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 that as Jesus approaches, as Jesus approaches the disciples and they cry out in fear, he says, take courage, ego me. it is I, I am with you. The self-existent one, the, the, the one who, whose very existence is so immense as to be uncontainable by a mere name. This is who I am, and I am with you, so do not be afraid. The wind, the rain, pff, I am with you. We're not exactly sure what to make of Peter's response here. It's kind of interesting. Um, verse 26, Lord, if it, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, no one's really sure what was going on in Peter's mind here. I mean, was he doubting that this really was Jesus? Like he's still kind of stuck on the ghost thing. Uh, and therefore, these words would be a test. If it's really you, I, I don't think so. Um, I mean, was he just overcome with excitement? Lord, is it you? Tell me to come to you. Well, it might be some of that. Uh, but, but I think the best answer seems to be in Peter's request that Jesus command him. If it is you, command me to come to you. Tell me to come to you. Just tell me what to do, Lord, even if it seems impossible, and I'll do it. 
Whatever, whatever the motivation of Peter here is, Jesus was not offended by, by, by Peter's request because he did it, right? Jesus' words are plain and simple. Come. Come. Isn't that beautiful? Command me, Lord. Tell me just what to do. Come. No, it's not quite that simple. Peter, I want you to walk on water. Um, um, Lord, right? And Peter got out of the boat. Whatever's going on here, it's a little bit insane, right? Like, this, Peter, come on, this is water, H2O. Like, this isn't even the, the heavy, salt-laden Dead Sea water that at least has a little bit of buoyancy to help you out. This is fresh water in the Sea of, of Galilee. But Jesus commanded him to come. And so here I go, Lord. Here I go. I, I'm getting out of the boat. And as I read those words, I, I tell you, friends, I wish that I had that kind of responsiveness to Jesus on a regular basis. Okay, Lord. Here we go. What are the storms that you're facing? What will you resolve to do the next time the winds begin to blow? I mean, maybe they're not life-threatening. Maybe they're not threatening to capsize you this time. They're just contrary winds, right? They're wearying winds. They're obstinate winds that won't let up. They just keep, they seem to be keeping you from your goal. Jesus sent you across the lake, but you're stuck in the middle. Damn winds, right? I mean, isn't that where we go? So, so kids, it's not okay to curse, okay? I, I'm using, I'm using the, that language uh, in quoting where we often go. Um, uh, I don't ever want someone to, to curse a, a person or a thing. We don't want to call the attention of the kingdom of darkness to that thing. And yet so often that's where we go. Darn winds. Right? Darn smoke. Stupid coworker. Dagnab business deal that just won't fall into place. Right? I've worked hard on this time and time and time again. Contrary winds. Like just this obstinance that I feel like I'm pressing against. The Apostle Paul, he encourages us. He says, God has not forgotten you. He is with you. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Here's what Paul's saying. These contrary winds are testing you. You are, are being strengthened in the midst of rowing. Your, your muscle mass is growing. And each consecutive storm is going to result in you being stronger and living through your resolve. Remember what happened last time? The, the, the disciples were in the boat. Matthew 8. They're in the boat. Lord, don't you care? Well, I mean, they would be feeling at this time. But this time Peter gets out of the boat. This time he comes in response, in response to the Lord. There's growth being seen here. He began with great faith. We've been talking about this on our way through Matthew. He began with great faith, got out of the boat, going to the Jesus. Wow. His faith faltered, distracted by the wind, well, became little faith again. But it was growth. It was a step. 
I don't know if you've seen this or not, but back in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus was teaching, and he uses the, the metaphor of, of four different types of soils. Right? Remember, the, the, there's the hard-hearted soil, the, there's the shallow-hearted soil, there's the, the thorn-infested soil, and there's the good soil. And we've been talking, Matthew in, in chapter 14 seems to be kind of illustrating what's going on there. Like, the hard-hearted soil clearly were like the people in Nazareth who rejected Jesus, King Herod Antipas, who executed John, hard-hearted soil, not willing to receive the message. But we would expect the disciples to be good-hearted soil, right? Like we would expect to be going to the other end? Well, sometimes, yes. I mean, sometimes we get it right, and then sometimes not so much. Right? Jesus, these people are hungry. Send them away. No, you feed them. What? Um, uh, It's a ghost! You know, walking across the water! Uh, Right? Sometimes not so much, but sometimes we get it right. Command me, Lord. Just tell me what to do. Peter, get out of the boat and walk on the water. Okay, Lord, here I come. We're coming to the Lord's table together here this morning. Jesus bids you come. Come. Come and receive. Peter sank, but not before, not before he walked. But where for those contrary winds? Ah, verse 30. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Jesus has quick reflexes. Immediately. He had a hold of him. I love that word. So sometimes when you encounter Jesus in profound and unexpected ways, I mean, all you can do is worship. All you can do is come and with the disciples, bow in the boat. Clearly, you are the Son of God. Uh, no other words, no other explanation. I, I mean, this, this is a strange passage in many ways. Uh, it's one that defies explanation other than the one that Matthew's offering to us. Jesus is the Son of God. I, I mean, not, not just in the sense of the special child son, right? You, you know, more than in the sense of Son of God being like a prophet, who speaks for God. Matthew has come to see Jesus as God himself walking among us, ego and me, the one who is with us, the great I am, and Jesus is inviting you to come to him and then to be courageous. Don't fear. As the worship team comes, elders, uh, I invite you to prepare to serve communion. Um, God has often used story to inspire me um, with some of these remembrances. Uh, God's given some spectacular storytellers to the Christian church. Uh, I mean, this is a fabulous story that Matthew has recounted for us. But let me share one with you that has inspired and assured me many times. Uh, King Peter, Edmund, Susan, and Lucy had begun, they'd become grown-ups in Narnia, okay? Uh, They they set off on a hunting party uh, in pursuit of the white stag, uh, who seems to really be Aslan. Like, I think that's what Lewis intended us to understand. Aslan, the lion, uh, the son of the emperor over the sea, the high king above all kings in Narnia. L- listen to the story. 
Then said King Peter, for they talked in quite a different style now, having been kings and queens for so long, Fair consorts, oh, let us now alight from our horses and follow this beast into the thicket, for in all my days I never hunted a nobler quarry. I love C.S. Lewis. Uh, uh, after I get through the lineup to see Jesus, uh, when I get to heaven, uh, I'm going to get in the lineup to see C.S. Lewis. Okay, <laughs> just, just, I'm just saying. This is, this is out of the, the end of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Sir, said the others, even so, let us do. So they alighted and tied their horses to trees and went on into the, thicket, uh, the thick wood on foot. And as soon as they had entered it, Queen Susan said, Fair friends, here is a great marvel, for I, I seem to see a tree of iron. Madam, said King Edmund, if you look well upon it, you shall see it is a pillar of iron with a lantern set on the top thereof. By the lion's mane, a strange device, said King Peter, to set a lantern here where the trees cluster so thick about it and so high above it that if it were lit, it should give light to no man. Sir, said Queen Lucy, by likelihood, when this post and this lamp were set here, there were smaller trees in the place or fewer or none. For this is a young wood and the iron post is old. And they stood looking upon it. And then said King Edmund, I know, how it, I know not how it is, but this lamp on the post worketh upon me strangely. It runs in my mind that I have seen the like before, as it were in a dream, or in the dream of dreams. Sir, said Queen Lucy. Sorry, I lost my place. Sir, answered they all. It is even so with us. And more, said Queen Lucy, for... It will not go out of my mind, but it, that if we pass this post and lantern, either we shall find strange adventures or else some great change of our fortunes. Madam, said King Edmund, the like foreboding stirreth in my heart also. And in mine, fair brother, said King Peter. And in mine too, said Queen Susan. Wherefore, by my counsel, we shall lightly return to our horses and follow the white stag no further. Madam, said King Peter. Therein I pray thee to have me excused. For never since we four were kings and queens in Narnia have we set our hands to any high matter or battle as battles, quests, feats of arms, acts of justice, and the like, and then given over. But always what we have taken in hand, the same we have achieved. Sister, said Queen Lucy, my royal brother speaks rightly, and it seems to me we should be shamed if for any fearing or foreboding we turned back from following so noble a beast as now we have in chase. And so say I, said King Edmund, and I have such desire to find the signification of this thing that I would not by my good will turn back for the richest jewel in all Narnia and all the islands. In the name of Aslan, said Queen Susan, if ye will all have it so, let us go on and take the adventure that shall befall us. And so these kings and queens entered the thicket. Before they had gone a score of paces, they remembered that the thing that they had seen was called a lamppost. And before they had gone 20 more, they noticed that they were making their way not through branches, but through coats. And next moment, they all came tumbling out of the wardrobe down, door into the empty room, and they were no longer kings and queens in their hunting array, but just Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy in their old clothes. It was the same day and the same hour of the day in which they had all gone into the wardrobe to hide. Contrary winds. 
strange foreboding. What lies ahead? Uh, Determine to press forward in pursuit of the one who bids you come. In pursuit of the one whom we pursue. Resolve to prevail. And if the best that you can do is just stay afloat amidst the contrary winds, then stay afloat and wait for Jesus. Sometimes when you encounter Jesus in in profound and unexpected ways, all you can do is worship. All you can do is worship. And it seems to me we should be shamed if for any fearing or foreboding we turned back from following so noble a beast as now we have in chase. Thank you, Jesus. Then in the name of Aslan, if ye will all have it so, let us go on and take the adventure that shall fall to us. Friends, the table that we're going to celebrate together here this morning reminds us that God is with us. You are not, if you're in the middle of the lake, there by chance. Nor are you there alone. He sees he's coming. He is for us. He has given himself to us. This bread represents his body, given for you. This cup represents his blood, poured out for the forgiveness of your sin. And so I want to invite you that as we approach the table this morning, approach it and take courage. Ego in me. It is I. Do not be afraid.